If you would open in your Bibles this morning uh, to the book of Jeremiah, we're going to go to chapter 15. Um, And while you're turning there, um, you may have noticed when you came in this morning that there's a whole pile of sweets on the table out there. Um, That is a fundraiser for our youth summer camp. So if you want to stop by the table on your way through the lobby when we leave uh, this morning, encourage you to stop by there and and be generous. We're we're, uh, raising funds to um, help support kids to go for program and just for the the camp costs. So um, anything helps and the kids wanted to bake some stuff and, you know, it's sweets for a cause. It's sweets for the Savior. You know, I kept telling them they should just put that up there on a sign, but um, I don't know, maybe that was a little tacky, but I really think sweets for the Savior would, would be grabby, you know, but anyway, um, it's for the kids in all reality, and if you haven't signed your teens up for summer camp, I encourage you to do so. Um, we're kind of getting down to the tail end. Our camp is the last week of August, and so we're, uh, we're getting everyone ready to go and geared up, and I'm super excited to see what the Lord's going to do at summer camp this year. So if you haven't signed up your teens, junior high and high school are both included. I um, encourage you to talk to BJ or I'll point you in the right direction. We'll get you signed up and, and again, stop by the bake table afterwards. Jeremiah chapter 15. Um, we're going to take a look at the final three verses in this chapter. And my prayer is that we would be really built up and encouraged this morning, that this would just draw us together, encourage us as to, as we look at the things that Jeremiah says, and we look at the way that the Lord handles him, I think we're going to find a lot of similarities with the way that we feel sometimes with the things that we're going through and how God comforts us in that place. And so, as most of you probably know, Jeremiah prophesied over the nation of Judah, the southern nation of Judah, and it was during the rise of the Babylonian empire. Um, They had already received word of the Lord. They knew Uh, through the prophet Jeremiah, even though they weren't really listening that well, that their destruction was coming at the hand of the Babylonians. And there's some really intense stuff as you read through Jeremiah. There's some intense things that are said. Even to the point at one point of his prophecy, um, the Lord basically says, anyone who goes out and surrenders to the Chaldeans, to the Babylonians, will live. But if you stay in here and you're stubborn, you're going to die. I mean, that's kind of backwards, even for us, but especially for the nation of Israel who's in Jerusalem saying, nothing's going to happen to us. We'll hold out. God's always taking care of us, even though they're idolatrous and sinful and all these things. God's like, no, no, no. It's to this point where if you go out and surrender to them, you'll actually make it. Because Nebuchadnezzar had been commanded to come and destroy Jerusalem by God. God had commissioned him to do this. And so Jeremiah didn't prophesy in a time that it was very easy to be the voice of God to a people who were unreasonable and to a people who didn't want to listen. And so it was his mission to be God's spokesman to a rebellious generation. Um, Times that I don't think that we're too far from, church. We've been called to be God's spokesman and spokeswomen to a a generation um, that is, on the whole, rejecting God and becoming more hostile towards those who speak his truth. And so not only does that give us the need to strengthen ourselves, but it gives us the need for each other, for community, because we're going to need the body. We're going to need each other for encouragement in this season. Jeremiah had to struggle oftentimes in a way that he felt like was he was alone, and that he was the only voice at that time. And often, I can tend to feel like Jeremiah does when he expresses in his prophecy his frustration, his pain, his anger, his dejection, and his doubt. We feel like things are looking so terribly sometimes in our lives and nothing's really changing. We start to doubt God. And so prior to our text of focus this morning, in verses 15 through 18, Jeremiah is praying, and this chapter is really a dialogue that's going back and forth uh, between God and Jeremiah. 
And Jeremiah is praying and he's venting, as we often do in verses 15 through 18. He wants justice for what he suffered, and he declares that he's spoken God's words, and he's been disgraced for it, and he feels isolated, and he feels alone. And then in verse 18, he says this, Why has my pain become unending, my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? You, he's speaking to God, truly have become like a mirage to me, water that is not reliable. Okay, now we, we all like immediately understand this picture, I think. A mirage is something that's deceptive, yes? It's not actual water. It's not actually able to, you know, revive us in any way. In fact, it's deceptive. It's a lie. Yeah, Jeremiah just told God that he felt deceived by him. Now, what's funny is, we, we look at the reality of some of these things. If you ever read, especially your Old Testament, if you read your Old Testament, you see some of the things that are said to God by, you know, like Moses or by Jacob or by the prophets as they struggle. It's kind of startling because we look at it and we're like, wow, it's really shocking that God didn't just these guys upside the head, you know, just smack them and be like, what's wrong with you? You know, or just end them and find someone who is more compliant. You know, and that immediately makes me think about myself. I'm so thankful that God hasn't slapped me out of the way yet, in spite of all that I say and I think. What's interesting is, I believe what we find in this text this morning is that when we are honest with God about how we feel, we get to see him reveal so many things about himself to us. I think a lot of times we expect God to not hear from us on these things. Our frustration, our anger, our pain, our bitterness— and I think that that's why we try and hold it in. We try and be better looking Christians when we're really struggling on the inside. And I think what Jeremiah shows us, you can talk to God about these things. You can say these kind of things to God. Jeremiah still loves God. What he's saying is, is this, I feel deceived. I feel like you're not doing what you said you were going to do. I'm frustrated. I'm beat down. And a lot of times I think we need to vent that to God, not because how we feel is correct, but because it's legitimate, it's reality. And when we're honest about it, God can deal with it. If we're pretending and hiding things on the inside, we're making it harder for God to get in and deal with us. And God's not standing at the doorways, kicking the door down. We know how he is. We know who he is. And when we open ourselves up to him, he's going to come and deal with things. But we need to come willingly. We need to come to him and say, I am struggling with this. Here's the reality. My heart is wretched. And sometimes it can feel like God isn't reliable? And are we honest with God when we really don't appreciate what he's doing? Are we honest with him about these things? I suggest that maybe that's why we stagnate. Maybe that's why we get to a place of stagnation, of complacency in our walk. is because we don't feel like God has actually done all that he said he was going to do for us. Like this whole thing has really not worked out the way we planned it. And so, you know, whatever. I mean, it's not that I don't belong to the Lord. I just have zero life, zero passion, zero willingness, and zero joy, and zero peace. All these things are connected. I think a lot of times we're afraid to be honest with God about how we feel, even though he knows it, because he knows us. I think we hesitate to be honest about how we're feeling and what we're struggling with. And we hesitate. I don't know about you guys, but when I read Psalm 139, and David says, search me, O God, and know me. 
Try me. Know my thoughts. I'm usually going, God, don't look at that one. All right, it's out. You know, I'm trying to get things out of my head. I'm trying to get things that like, no, I shouldn't. God, don't see that one. You know, like I, but here's the thing. David's like, go on a thought hunt in my brain. How many of us want that from the Lord? How many of us understand that that's a good thing for us? That that's actually going to be part of our healing? God has called us to trust him. He's called us to be faithful to him because he's worthy of that trust and he's always faithful to us. And even when it seems like he's a mirage in the desert, even when we misunderstand God, and that's just a misunderstanding. You realize when Jeremiah uses that that terminology that he is misunderstanding what God is doing. He's misunderstanding God's promises or so frustrated that he just can't grab onto it at that moment doesn't mean he ceases to belong to the Lord, but he's lost his perspective. Notice what God does for the prophet. Check it out. Jeremiah 15. Let's read verses 19 through 21. Just a short section this morning. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. If you return back, I will take you back. You will stand in my presence. And if you speak noble words rather than worthless ones, you will be my spokesman. It is they who must return to you. You must not return to them. Then I will make you a fortified wall of bronze to this people. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you. For I am with you to save you and rescue you. This is the Lord's declaration. I will rescue you from the power of evil people and redeem you from the grasp of the ruthless. Let's pray together. Father, we ask for this this section of your word. An understanding of the context, Lord, as you speak to the prophet Jeremiah, and Lord, also an application for ourselves. Lord, that we would understand how this impacts our lives right now, that we would be built up by it, that we'd be encouraged by it, and Lord, that it would just allow us, Lord, the ability to look at our own hearts and see if we really have the doors open. God, are we open to you? Because this truth of of your character, of who you are, you have not changed. And Lord, you want to use us. And so God, I pray that this passage of scripture would open our eyes. Lord, your word is living, it's active. Would you just cut us right to the core? Speak to us individually and collectively as a body we ask this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. It's interesting, isn't it? Um, And you'll see this occasionally when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees in the New Testament, that when Jeremiah makes this comment about the mirage, right? In the desert, you're like deceptive waters or a deceitful brook, that God doesn't address that at all. Did you notice that? He's like, I am not a deceptive brook. I am real water. How dare you, Jeremiah? He doesn't even deal with that. He gets right to the core of the issue. Whoa, 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 whoa. Jeremiah, you're off base. You're off track. He doesn't address that at all. He calls the prophet to repentance. He looks at him. He says, therefore, this is what the Lord says. If you return, I will take you back. You're off base, Jeremiah. You're wandering. Come home. You know, I, the first thing that pops into my mind when I, when I read those words is the prodigal son son of this father, but he's off track. He's off base. He's not where he should be. He's, would you just come home? Would you just come back? I'll take you back. You're not saying very smart things right now, but come back. 
I'll take you back. We should consider and weigh, church, whether we're being fully honest with the Lord about how we're handling what he's allowed in our lives. It's not that God doesn't know these things, but when we open our hearts up to him and willingly reveal the struggle that's there, it opens the door for us to be reminded by him of his love for us. He reminds us of his love when we come to him and say, help me. You know, we have to do that thing that we never want to do in Home Depot. Help me. I'm lost. You know, it's, that's why I love, I just, I love going into Home Depot and watching all these guys walk around. You know, you're like, dude, just ask someone for help. It's a big store. It's a big life. There's a lot of things we're not ready to handle. There's a lot of situations we're going to be put in that we're not prepared for. And God's like, can I help you find something? <laughs> can I help you here? kind of the expert of this place, you know, this life creation, and I'm here to help you. You know, would you just come and ask me for help? Yeah, my heart seems to be a disaster. Where do I find something to fix that? He's like, we're going to go to the, uh, the 70th aisle down over here. It says me, and we're going to deal with it there, right? See, God has this plan for us, you guys, where he is going to work in our lives, but we need to open these doors up. We need to be real with him. We can't be fakes. We can't be phonies. I mean, read the way that God dealt with the Pharisees. Jesus there interacting, God in human flesh, talking to the Pharisees like, yeah, you look great on the outside, but you're dead. You're lifeless. We don't want to be like that. That misrepresents him. We don't want to look like those kind of people. And so we have to come and let him get inside. I see love in this verse. I see love in the way that God responds to him because Jeremiah just said something that was really offensive. And God says, if you return, I'll take you back. You know, I don't know if it was my upbringing. I don't know what it was. The way that I used to read the scriptures, but so many times I felt like I read the words of God angrily. You know, all right, fine, I'll take you back. I don't think that's the way the Lord says this. Because if he loves us. He loves Jeremiah. He's called Jeremiah. He wants Jeremiah with him. He wants Jeremiah to come back. He wants you and I to come home. He wants us to come to him with these things. These are words of love. Jeremiah was still the Lord's spokesman, but in his heart, there were these unworthy thoughts of God. And he was expressing these things. And Jeremiah had to purge his heart. He had to devote only to the truth concerning God. He was expressing the things in him that were wrong and God wanted to deal with those things because we can't misrepresent God and when we feel that way, we misrepresent him. And so the Lord wants to deal with that. Church, we're always going through sanctification. We're going through this process of being molded and shaped and made to be more and more like him. It's not to become more and more who I truly am as an individual. My life and our lives together are to be growing and being shaped into the people that God has called us to be because sin messed this up, but Jesus fixes that. And we are confession and repentance away from restoration, always. Church, this is a beautiful truth for every single one of us. All we have to do is confess and repent and he will make us right. Do you realize how beautiful it is? that God has loved us so much in Christ 
that even how broken we are from all the backgrounds that we come from, from all the sin that was in our past, that we are new creations through confession, repentance, and his restoration. Praise the Lord for that. And you guys, this is a continual process that we go through. We walk in a world of sin. We struggle with thoughts and with, with desires of flesh. And that's why in 1 John, he encourages us to come and he says, if you confess, he's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He's speaking to the church. He's talking to us. Never cease to come to the Lord and confess. Because when we come with that openness, Lord, I am having these thoughts. Lord, I am, I am saying these things. Whatever it is, I'm doing this thing. If we come and we confess to him, he will cleanse us. But here's the thing. Don't come just to get a load off your mind. Come to change. Come to be changed by him. Come to be renewed by him. Come to be restored by him. We have to continually allow the Lord to search our hearts and see if there's anything contrary to his truth. And you guys, the part that gets very uncomfortable about this is the Lord says to Jeremiah, I'll take you back. I think about our situation. I think about how we need to be repentant before the Lord. You realize that in this time as the church, that involves each other as well. That involves the body. Because James 5.16 says, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. You guys understand that, that this, this takes another layer. This goes another layer deep into the, pro, into the process. It's not just getting right with the Lord and be like, okay, I prayed, I talked to God, we're good. He's like, now confess it to other people around you and be accountable. Be accountable to those around you when you're struggling. And just as Jeremiah was God's spokesman, so long as he spoke noble words and not worthless words, like suggesting that God is deceptive water. That's a worthless word. So too, as the church, we have to speak the truth of God regardless of our culture because of who we've been called to be. And so as we look at the things that need to change within me, the accountability we should have in the body, then he says, now change your speech. You come back to me, I'll receive you back. He says, you'll stand in my presence. In other words, God will raise him up to this place where you can stand in my presence. That's a big deal. And then he says, if you speak noble words rather than worthless ones, you will be my spokesman. You see, you're not speaking for God when you're saying things that are garbage. I'm not speaking for God when I'm just talking out of my own self-interest. And in order to be God's spokesman, we have to have his words on our lips. We have to have his words in our mouths. That's what being a spirit-filled believer looks like. Because we're called to be his ambassadors and our message has to be clear. We have to live a life that looks like what we want others to live, but our words have to be clear. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You can't say those words and not be reconciled yourself. Not without being a hypocrite. So church, we have to be legitimate in these things. We have to be those who are opening ourselves up. If we want to be a spokesman, we have to take these steps first. And here's what God's saying to Jeremiah. You've got an issue and I have a job for you to do, but we need to get you right before you can do your job right. You need to be in a right place before you can do this. 
And just as the Lord reminded him in verse 19 of our text, it is they who must return to you. You must not return to them. That's a powerful statement. Who is they in this text? It's the people, right? The people that God had brought into this land and who had turned their backs on, who were idolatrous and were failing. He says, you can't go back to being like them. You have to call them to come to you. The way that this is written in the Hebrew is really fascinating. Basically, what he's saying is this. If you could visualize it, he's saying, you have to pull them up without letting them pull you down. Do you realize the kind of strength you need to do that? Who has a stronger position, the people on the ground or the people up on the chair? You know, we do these, these team building exercises every now and then. You do those kinds of things, right? You don't have as much leverage when you're up above. You're being pulled down. Your weight's carrying you down. It just makes sense, right? Someone who's standing on flat ground who's pulling down has more strength. So he says, you have to pull people up, Jeremiah, without letting them pull you down. You realize you're in a supernatural help situation now. You're in a situation where you need God to strengthen. He's like, you can't do this without me. You need me to strengthen you to stand strong and pull people up. You see, if you're trying to do it on your own strength, it's never going to work. And so church, we have to rely on him. We sing the song here every so often. I can rely on you. There's nothing else that we can rely on like the Lord. There's no one higher. And so when we rely on Christ, he will strengthen us to do things that we could not ordinarily do. Paul gave us the same reminder, if you remember in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. The same type of idea that he gives to Jeremiah here when he says, you must not return to them. It is they who must return to you. Paul said it this way, do not be conformed to this age but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Don't conform to the world. Show them that they need to be conformed into the image of Christ. They need to become like Jesus. Don't become like them. Then, if you look at verse 20 with me, he says this, I will make you a fortified wall of bronze to this people. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you for I am with you to save you and rescue you. This is the Lord's declaration. I will rescue you from the power of evil people and redeem you from the grasp of the ruthless. He goes, you cannot be pulled down by these people. You have to pull them up. And he says, if you stand with me. If you return to me and you stand in my presence, he says, I'm going to make you a fortified wall of bronze to this people. I'm going to build you up into something. He promises him that he would make his calling remain. He says, your calling will be fulfilled if you stand with me. I will fulfill what I've called you to do if you stand with me. God would make him strong and unconquerable in his mission. Now, here's the thing is that a lot of times we misunderstand our mission. That's where the twist comes to this, this story. The twist in the plot is a lot of times we don't have the same vision for our lives that God has. Something very, very interesting was shared with someone that I knew. They went up for prayer um, at a conference and, and the, the, the pastor looked at him and said, this may not look the way that you think it will look in the end, but it'll look the way that Jesus wants it to. You guys, isn't that what we want and that we're so afraid of? It's like, well, can you give me a picture? He's like, no. <laughs> like, 
why? Why can't you show me what it's going to look like? He's like, because you'd never go. Well, that doesn't comfort me at all. It should. Because if it's requiring you to trust in the Lord all the way to get there, then you're doing the right thing. You guys, there's so many things that I think about that be like, okay, Lord, if you'd let me see that ahead of time, I never would have done that. And he's like, exactly. That's the point. Now, I don't look back and be like, so God had me to sit. No, I'm not talking about sin. I'm just talking about circumstances of life, situations I've ended up in that I didn't see coming. But God used those things to grow me. When the Lord is talking to us and he's challenging us to trust him, and he's filling us with his spirit. We should become more like a people who, who think like John the Baptist. Because we're so reliant on him and we see him fulfilling his promises. We're so in tune with the spirit that we say, you know what? You just need to increase and I just need to decrease. And just keep doing more and more of what you're doing till there's nothing left of me. Till there's absolutely nothing left of me. I saw a sticker on a car. Um, last week or the week before, I can't remember, and it said, um, well-behaved people rarely make history. It was funny because I, I, I was sitting, my wife was sitting next to me, I said, run that backwards. So badly behaved people make history. I was like, so what's the point of that sticker? What's it telling us? Behave badly so that you're remembered. I mean, I could preach a whole sermon on that, but, but do, you, do you ever think about that? Like what, what the world's mentality looks like and what ours looks like? We don't, we don't want to be remembered. We don't want our name in lights. We don't want our name to be up on something. I don't want people to think about a church and think about somebody's name. I want them to think about Jesus. I want them to think about Christ crucified. I want them to think about how he saved them from their sin. Jesus should be the only one who is thought of when it comes to this church. It shouldn't be someone's name. It shouldn't be someone's face. It should be the glory of God. And see, we shouldn't behave badly so that we're remembered in history. We should behave like Christ so that he is remembered and we are forgotten. That's how this should work, folks. That's how we should live. That's why we're here. When we do that, do you realize how taxing it is on us to live a life that's for self? Do you realize how exhausting it is to be selfish, bitter, angry? Do you realize how much joy you can have even in the toughest of times when you're doing it for the Lord? When we're just serving the Lord together? There's so much fulfillment. There's so much peace there. God said he would make Jeremiah, a fortified wall of bronze. That sounds pretty cool. Being in opposition with people is just going to happen. But if we're equipped for the Lord for the battle ahead, then we'll be okay. If we're being equipped by God to stand against whatever comes at the hands of men, we'll be all right. We'll be okay. Submitting to the Lord's authority under his commissioning, we can accomplish his mission for our lives, church. It may not be enjoyable, and it may not look the way that we want it to. 
It may not be the life that we wanted to lead. I imagine if you talk to Jeremiah, you can read chapter 16. It's right after this. It's funny. My Bible title over chapter 16 says, No Marriage for Jeremiah. Rats. <laughs> like It may not look the way you want it to look. This cost Jeremiah a lot. But he had a, a mission, a calling. And the only way that he would be satisfied in his soul is if he lived that calling out for God. He submitted himself to that. It may not be what we want it to look like, but God is faithful. And because he's faithful, we can be fearless. Because God is faithful, we can be fearless. Because he saved us and he will redeem us. Do you realize how much fear drives us to conform? Fear weakens us to being pulled down by culture and society. Fear condemns us and makes us utter all kinds of worthless words of doubt about what God's able to do. It's funny because if you talk to a group of young guys, you really don't get a lot of them confessing fear to you. What are you afraid of? Nothing. I'm not afraid of anything. Like, except your ego. <laughs> you guys, we're all afraid of something. We all struggle with fear in some way. Fear of acceptance you know, fear of bears. I don't know what your fear is. Like, I just, we all struggle with fear. <laughs> like, I'm very afraid of bears. But here's the thing. No matter what you're afraid of, you realize so long as you are trusting in God, so long as you are in his will for your life and submitted to him, what is there to be afraid of? Who should you be afraid of? What should you fear? Nothing. There's fearlessness when we rest in God. He hasn't given us a spirit of fear, amen? What does 1 Timothy, or sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 say? For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. God didn't fill us with a spirit to be, fill, to be scared, to be fearful of things in this life. He filled us with the spirit so that we would know that we were fulfilling the purpose he put us here for. You know, and, and I bring this up with our home group all the time because I, I feel like we, we fear so many things, especially young people. I know myself when I was younger, I was really afraid about people's opinions, what they thought of me. And it's funny, Jesus said it so well. He said, don't fear men. They can only kill you. Oh, great. He's like, no, 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 no. Don't, don't fear men. This is in Luke chapter 12. He goes, uh, fear the one who can throw body and soul into hell. He goes, he can kill the body and throw the soul into hell. You should fear God. And the great thing about our God, about our Lord, is that he loves us, saved us through his son, and has brought us into his family. We're part of the family. We're the church. We're the body of Christ. He's connected to us. So if that's the situation we're in, what do we fear? Not bears. We don't have to be afraid anymore. We can walk in the fullness of what he's given us. And God's promise to rescue Jeremiah from the power of evil people and redeem him from the grasp of the ruthless is so encouraging because we are not being promised that we won't struggle. Jeremiah is not being promised that he won't be hurt and that he won't struggle. But that God will rescue and he will redeem. God will rescue and redeem no matter what when our trust and our hope is in him.
I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know all the situations. I know, I know some of them, but here's the truth. Here's reality. God will rescue you and God will redeem you if you remain in him, if you abide in him. Ultimately, we've placed our faith in Jesus as the one who has redeemed us from sin and death. We see this in more fruition now because as the prophet is hearing this from God, the Savior had not yet come. He was depending on a promise that was yet to come. We can look back and see that Jesus accomplished all that he said he would, and we can have hope and absolute certainty that he will complete the work that he's begun in us and that he is coming again. Amen? Church, invigorate yourself with these types of things. Never forget Jesus comes again. Never forget that the king returns. Any day. (laughs) Right now, please. Before Mike finishes this sermon. You guys, it's so encouraging. And interestingly enough, if you do a little word study, the Hebrew word here that he uses for redeem is the word padah, and it means ransom. If you look it up in the original, it means ransom. It means that he's not just going to get us back, he's going to pay to get us back. This is a promise. God's giving Jeremiah a promise, and it's a picture of what Jesus is going to do. He's going to pay the price for us to redeem us back to himself. Jesus was the one. I think through God's encouragement, his love, and his promise to Jeremiah, our eyes are naturally drawn, especially with the word usage to the cross, directly to the cross. And I think we have to remember again how we can be encouraged, loved, and fulfilled through Christ's sacrifice, through what Jesus did. All too often, we're trying to be satisfied in what we've accomplished, in the things that we've done. We look back and go, as long as I can check enough boxes off of I've done cool things, then, um, then I'll fulfill my life. I tell you what, God's love for you is not based on how many places you travel to. God's love for you is not based upon how many skills you have. God's love for you is not based on how pretty of a face you have. Thank you, Jesus. You guys, God's love for you is based on who he is. It's based on his character. It's based on his nature. Isn't that a relief? Isn't it overwhelming to think about God's love is for you just because he loves you? And it's, it's that love that, that motivated him to action, to go to the cross. It was that love for you that was based on who he is, on his goodness, on his character, that he sent Jesus to die for every single one of us. This morning we have communion in the back, and it's open as soon as we begin worship, free to go and take communion. And I just want to remind you of what Jesus said. He said real simply, when he was sitting at that table with his disciples, he took the bread. He said, this is my body, which is given for you. And do this in remembrance of me. He said, this is given for you based on his love for us. 
And he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant, my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. He says, remember, my love. Remember that this is for you, that I'm going to the cross for you. I don't know the last time uh, that I took communion and I just settled on those words. This is for me. I want you to just settle on that place this morning. Enjoy this time of communion. Take a moment before you take the bread and the cup and remember that Jesus said, this is for you. He went to the cross for you. He went and shed his blood for you because he loves you. Because he cares about you. And it's so funny how we as parents can look at our kids and just love them so much and, and not connect the dots that like we're just, we're just touching the hem of the garment of God's love for us. You know that love that you have for your children, that love that you have for your families, you're just barely touching the very brim of God's love for you. You're just getting a taste of it. We should be overwhelmed. We should be absolutely overwhelmed with how much he cares for us. Church, I encourage you to do this, do this this morning. Come open and honest to the Lord. If there's failure, tell him there's been failure. If there's pain, tell him about the pain. Don't assume that things are going to get dealt with just because God knows everything and he can just read your mind. God expects us to come to him. He expects us to open ourselves up to him and to do business with him, to invite him to open the door. And maybe the reason we're not growing is because we haven't been opening the door. Don't be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. You belong to the king. He loves you more than you can understand. So be fearless. Be bold. Not only when you approach him, but be fearless when you go out into the world and you go to do the ministry that he's called you to do. To let that flow from your relationship with God and to not fear opinions, situations, anything. Commit your lives to God. Enjoy this time of communion as we worship. Let's pray together. Lord, it's, it's, um, it's overwhelming. Jesus, that you would sacrifice yourself for us. Lord, who are we that you're mindful of us? And yet you have given us the honor of being your children. And by your sacrifice, your body, in your blood, we have been made clean. We just remember that this morning. And we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Thank you, Jesus, for your redemption, for your rescue. God, maybe there are some here this morning as communion is happening and they need prayer. 
Lord, I just ask that they would come forward, that they would turn to someone next to them and just ask that they would be encouraged, Lord, in your spirit. Holy Spirit, move in this room freely as we open our hearts to you and confess, Lord, so that we might be healed. Wrap us in your arms. Remind us that you have this. You've got this. Whatever situation we're in, you've got it. We can trust you.